Um, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I'm here in part because my dad has not been feeling well the last few days, the last few, uh, the last week or so, and uh, just hasn't been getting the rest that he needs. And so he called me yesterday afternoon and he said, do you think that you could share something? And I will never turn down the opportunity to share with you all. So I readily accepted uh, and began to seek the Lord um, regarding what he would have me share with you. And I have to tell you that um, I'm a little nervous. I'm not usually nervous before all of you because I know that you love me and I know that uh, we have a great relationship and we're going to be okay no matter what. But I just... Uh, this burden, this, the burden of this word has been on my heart for so many weeks, months even. And I've been kind of working through this with the Lord, but at the same time, I'm, I'm the kind of person who processes by talking it through. And I didn't really go through everything in my mind to, to the way I wanted to present it. And I was just seeking the Lord saying, okay, is this the time? I am preaching later tonight um, at our anchor service. And so I thought, well, maybe I could get away with preaching the same sermon, sermon twice, which I know you would all bear with me if I did that. But I just felt like this is the time, um, in part because as I was seeking the Lord last night, uh, I kept going back, back and forth between praying for what God was going to have me to share and praying for my uncle Al Baldanza, who's in the hospital, and just asking God to bless him and heal him, thanking God for him and for his family and for all that they've done for me, and then going back to this word and um, kind of seeing some parallels in it. Because what I believe the Lord wants me to talk to you about today is justice. God's justice, not our justice. Justice does mean, you know, seeking retribution, seeking uh, reconciliation, seeking, you know, even vengeance, vengeance, right? But biblical justice, what it more often means is restorative justice, seeking out those who are vulnerable and who are being taken advantage of and helping them, taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. A few months ago, weeks ago maybe, my dad had um, asked me to share up at Pastor Charlie Muller's church. He was here a couple weeks ago. Many of you heard him share. And he said, why don't you share what the Lord is doing in and through Anchor, what the Lord has given you as a vision for, for our Anchor evening service. And I was ashamed to say that I had not spent much time thinking and praying about the subject, but I was I, I spent some time that day, and I just was like, God, what do you want from us? What do you want? And this verse of scripture came to mind and has been coming to mind over and over and over, and it's from Micah 6, 8. I'm going to do this in the ESV. I forgot to tell Rakesh that. I'm sorry, Rakesh. Oh, you're awesome. All right. Uh, Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to pray. Father, um, we dedicate this time to you. 
We recognize, Lord, that we can do nothing without you. I cannot share without you. We cannot receive without you. We cannot hear your word without your help. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to learn and to understand who you are and what you've done for us. We give you all glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So Micah 6, 8, um, this verse over and over, do justice, love kindness, Walk humbly with your God. It's like all day, every day, just kind of flowing through my mind. Do justice. And I feel like the Lord has been saying to me, Amy, the purpose of anchor is to bring justice to our community. And I, I don't know where exactly where he's going in that, but he's brought me through this understanding this week. And I want to share with you out of Micah, which is where this verse comes from, uh, what he, what What's going on when the prophet Micah preaches to the nation of Israel, specifically to the southern kingdom of Israel? So I'll give you a little bit of background, okay? So Micah is uh, a prophet about 740 B.C., so 740-ish years before Jesus Christ came. And he is sharing with um, the, the southern kingdom. The, the, the nation of Israel has split between two kingdoms, northern and southern. He's, he's prophesying to the southern kingdom specifically, but he prophesies about the northern kingdom as well. And in his prophecies, he says, listen, y'all have done some really bad things, and because of it, you're going you're gonna to have some consequences. You're going to suffer some consequences. The Assyrians are going to come in. They're going to ravage Jerusalem. And after that, the Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to take you away into exile. Pretty serious stuff, right? He does offer hope in the midst of all of this, but we're going to kind of camp in the, in the judgment that he's giving them for a little bit. He's saying to them, listen, you've done some really horrible things, and because of this, there are going to be consequences. Now, what are the horrible things? Well, we learn from other prophets that they were entrenched in idolatry, right? They were serving other gods, false gods, constantly. And this is where the punishment comes from. But there are some very specific things that Micah highlights that the, that the leaders, he's specifically speaking to the leaders of the people of Israel, and he's saying, you leaders have done some pretty horrible things. Any idea what those things are? We're going to find out. Let's start with Micah chapter 2 verse 1. I'm going to I'm going to read good a good portion of this book. I'm not going to read the whole thing cuz of time, but you should go and and check it out because it's a pretty great little book. So Micah chapter 2, uh, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. So they're laying in bed at night and they're thinking, what can I do? What can I do when I wake up? to make people's lives more difficult, to, to, to ele- elevate myself, to advance my own cause, right? They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. This is simply, this is probably referring back to King Ahab in the northern kingdom when he, he wanted a guy's vineyard and he went in and he killed the guy and he took the vineyard even though it was part of the inheritance that the man Naboth had received from the Lord. 
Verse 8 of chapter 2. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought for war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. So here we start to see with Micah what he's calling to their attention. You're taking away the little that people have. You're kicking women out of their homes. You're, you're not tending to your children, right? Micah chapter 3, verse 1. Again, I'm just pulling some of the verses out. And I said, hear, you heads of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. Is it not for you to know justice? You're the leaders. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to take people's homes. You're not supposed to take what they have and build yourself up. You are the leaders. You are supposed to seek justice. Stop loving what is evil. This is a little graphic. Sorry about this. Um, You who um, hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at this time because they have made their deeds evil. Obviously, the people of Israel were not committing cannibalism here, but he's saying what you are doing to to your people is the equivalent of just taking them and, and destroying them. You should not do this. Verse 5, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Boy, that sounds like an American, doesn't it? (laughs) Peace, because I'm doing okay financially. I'm doing okay. I got enough food in my refrigerator. Oops, it's a little bear in there. War, (laughs) right? Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be discouraged and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bride, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. What he's saying here is that the priests would, I'll perform a sacrifice for you, give me a little on the side, it'll be, you know, I'll make sure it's really good. You know, the prophets are saying, sure, I'll prophesy over for you for a price. Give me a bribe and it'll be a really good one. Right. This is what the people that the leaders of Israel are doing. I'll give you a judgment on your, you know, it's like I'm a, I'm the judge and you come to me and you want, you know, a judgment in your favor. Well, you know. Give me a little on the side and I'll make sure it happens for you. 
And he's saying, this is like, it's like you're cutting up the people and you're putting them in a pot. He's warning them and they're not going to listen to him. We know they're not going to listen to him because they end up in exile. But he's saying to them, this is what you're doing, you leaders. It's a scary thought. They're not acting in justice. But there is hope that Micah offers. Anybody know what that hope is? We find it in Micah chapter 4, uh, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up over the hills, and people shall flow into it. So he's prophesying about a time when the, the house of Israel is going to be open to all peoples, and people are just going to come from everywhere. Now, are they going to want to come under these circumstances where their leaders are lying and cheating and stealing from them? So something's going to change because it's not going to be under that circumstance, right? Verse 2, and many nations shall come up and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. Verse 6, and in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. The lame I will make a remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Who is he gathering? He's gathering those who'd been oppressed. He's gathering those who need healing, who need help, who need, who have been hurt. He's pulling in the vulnerable and he's going to be their Lord. Micah chapter 5, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Who are we talking about here? It's Jesus. Micah goes from Assyrians are attacking because you guys are horrible The Babylonians are coming. They're going to take you away. But there's going to be one who's going to come from Bethlehem. And he is going to restore what what the leaders have taken away. He's going to restore the lame. He's going to restore the vulnerable. And he's going to bring a message of peace. He's going to bring a message of justice and kindness. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is that what the Lord requires of us? Does he require thousands and thousands of sacrifices? Does he require, you know, the greatest sacrifice, our, our, our firstborn? Is that what he requires? No. In verse 8, he has shown you 
what is good. And what does he require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? That's it. And I think that's why I love this verse so much because it's just like there's nothing, there's not really a requirement. He's going to do this. But what does he want from you? He wants you to act on his behalf to show judge justice and kindness and mercy and love. That's it. Now, fast forward 740 years, right? And out of Bethlehem, Ephratah, comes the Messiah, comes the Savior who's come to bring justice and mercy and kindness. And that's all Jesus does. Throughout his ministry, everywhere he goes, he's, he's seeking out the vulnerable. He's seeking out the oppressed. He's seeking out those who need a touch from him. He's healing them. It says he went about doing good and destroying all the works of the devil. Every one of them. He never stops. Right? But along the way, all peppered through the Gospels, he speaks to the same people Micah's speaking to. Now, obviously, it's 740 years later. They're different actual people, but we're still talking to the leaders. We're still talking to the priests. We're still talking to the scribes and, and to the prophets, right? And Jesus speaks to them very frequently. I love this kind of like, it's like, you see, Jesus, he's not just this weak little man with kids and sheep, right? Like he's, he's very, very, very strong when it comes to the leaders and how horrible they are being to his people. And I want to highlight just a couple of them and see if it sounds a little bit like the prophet Micah, because when Jesus talks to the scribes, the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites all the time. And when he speaks to them, it sounds very similar to the same things we just read about in Micah. All right. We're going to, we're just going to look at one chapter, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. Like they're going to tell you the, they're going to tell you the scripture. They're going to preach to you the Torah. But don't pay attention to what they do, because what they do doesn't match up. They preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Let me list out all the rules and regulations you have to do, but I I don't have to keep them. You have to keep them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, but you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I love that everything Jesus says is like backwards to what, how we think. Right? I mean, it's like, he's like, you want to be great? Be a servant. The world would tell us that you humble yourself, that you admit that you're wrong, that you admit you don't have all the answers. Well, you're going to lose that job. Right? You're going to lose that position of authority. It's backwards. Everything Jesus did, you, 
You're supposed to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Guess what? No, you're supposed to love your enemies. Over and over, Jesus just kind of preaches this backward way. You've heard that you're you're not supposed to kill. That's true, but I'm going to tell you, if you hate your brother, you killed him. You've heard you're not supposed to commit adultery. Well, that's true, but I tell you what, you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. Jesus just kind of takes what the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching, and he flips it upside down. And he says, "It's it's not what they've been telling you. And he's saying to them, listen, listen to what I'm teaching to you because what they've been telling you is not right. Skip to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. They were treating the tithes as law to the point where they would even, you know, tithe their the herbs from their garden. He's like, yeah, but you're ignoring a huge chunk of it. Justice mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others but you blind guides strain at gnats and swallow a camel you you pay so much attention to the little things you're ignoring the big ones it's not about how whether you tithe to the exact percent it's about whether you're practicing justice and mercy and forgiveness and you're ignoring those things Woe to you, oops, I skipped one. Yep, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. He's calling to their attention the fact that they, they look pretty good on the outside, but inwardly, it's rotten. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like washed, whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, Jesus had the same message to the leaders of Israel at the time that Micah had to the leaders of Israel at his time. You're not, you're, you're, you're taking advantage of people. You're, you're pushing down the vulnerable. You're paying more attention to how you look and whether you get the best place at the meal, whether people call you by the right title. And you're ignoring justice. You're ignoring mercy. I have been seeking the Lord on this because I don't know about you, but I've been looking at our country, specifically looking at the church and asking myself, do we look more like Jesus or do we look more like whitewashed tombs? Do we look like what he's called us to be, carriers of justice and mercy and righteousness, or are we just a clean cup on the outside? And, you know, Praise the Lord. It, you know, like we all love him, right? Like we're just doing our best and we're seeking him. But I'm talking about at the church as a whole. Is the church actually examining ourselves regularly? Because here's the thing. After Jesus dies and is resurrected, who become the priests? We do. Who become the prophets? We do. Who become the teachers and the leaders? We do. This is not, this is to us now, folks. It's not about 
what our, what our leaders are doing, our government leaders. It's not about what our church leaders are doing. I mean, it, it is because they reflect Christ and they kind of reflect us, don't they? And that's where I've, I'm, I'm like, I'm watching the news and I'm thinking, man, I'm hearing about, you know, the, the Catholic priests who are abusing the most vulnerable children. I'm reading about, you know, the, the pastor who was, you know, set down because of alcoholism of his mega church, or this pastor of this mega church who was found to be abusing women, or the pastor of this mega church who was embezzling funds. And I go, Lord, this ought not to be so. And the Lord says, yes, but you, Amy. Yes, I will deal with them, but you, are you practicing justice? Are you practicing kindness? Are you walking humbly with, the, with your God? Because you are as accountable as they are. Yes, he's going to hold them accountable, but he's holding us accountable too. And are we as a congregation of Community Gospel Church of Anchor Oneonta, are we reaching out to the vulnerable ones? Are we finding the disenfranchising and giving them a place here? Are we finding the ones who have no other place to go and taking them here and loving them no matter what? As that's what Jesus did, he went about doing good works and destroying all what the devil was doing. I, um, I have recently been, uh, I found out about this, I think it's amazing, um, project. It's called the Bible Project. Is anybody familiar with it? Uh, it's an, it's a YouTube channel, if you're familiar with YouTube. And they, they do kind of like, they, they do these, um, animation while they explain books of the Bible or themes in the Bible. And I asked Chris if he could put this up for me. This is their, um, their they call this justice, the theme of justice. And we're going to watch this for a few minutes, and then I'll continue. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's 
a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. 
God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You may have uh, recognized that a couple of the um, the quotes that I said about what justice was and what um, specifically mishpat uh, came from that clip. I particularly liked the way that they phrased what good was. Uh, um, injustice, or, or they say in there, uh, we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. I don't know about you, but I've done that before. Let me just call that good because even though it's really not good, I really want to do it even if it hurts other people. He says um, injustice um, is perpetrated especially towards vulnerable people. I say this to my students all the time. Most of you know I teach high school, and um, I have, you know, kids are kids. Kids can be mean frequently, and I've always, always tell my students when they come to me to say, you know, this person's been unkind, or this person is teasing me, or, or hurting me in some way. I mean, we deal with that because we don't want kids to be um, suffering when they go to school, but I frequently tell my the student who's being the one who's hurt, I say, there's something in them that is hurting there's something in them that feels the need to make you feel powerless, that makes, has the need to make you feel poor about yourself because then they can, they can be raised up. They can feel better about themselves. And that's what I think that video does so well is to show that when I'm pushing you down, it's because that elevates me above you, right? And then he notes that unfortunately, those of us who've been pushed down, who've been the vulnerable ones, when we get that position of power, what do we do? We, we turn around and push others. I always tell my students, hurt people, hurt people. You know? That's what we do. Without Christ, without his changing us and molding us and making us new. They say that um, doing good, righteousness, is right relationships between people, treating others as the image of God, as image bearers of God, is that not how we should treat each and every person? Each and every person, no matter what they've done, with the dignity that that is befitting an image of God. Justice, the word mishpat, is restorative justice, seeking out vulnerable those who are vulnerable, who are being taken advantage of and helping them, taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable, and changing social structures to prevent injustice. This is a radical, selfless way of life, they said. The ones who are wicked mistreat others, ignoring the image of God. Those were all just quotes I took from them, but those were the ones that I'm just like, God, help me. Help me not to be wicked. Help me not to uh, oppress others and push them down so that I can be elevated. Uh, I, I mentioned I'm, I'm speaking tonight at, um, at Anchor, and doing research for the, the sermon I've been preparing for that, I, I've looked into the, like, the lives of these three incredible women. Some of you may have heard of them. I'm not gonna go into their whole story the way that I will this evening, but I, I challenge you to go home, look them up, you know, because they're worth studying and reading about. Their names are Mary Slesser, 
Amy Carmichael, and Gladys Aylward. Have you heard of these women? Any of them? Mary Slessor uh, was born in 1848 in Scotland. Uh, I don't, I don't know what life was like for women in 1848, but, you know, I'm sure that she wasn't necessarily raised, um, with the, with the vision, with the opinion that she would be some powerhouse for the Lord, right? Um, she wanted to be a missionary though. She wanted to be a mis- missionary in Africa. She learned about David Livingston and she thought she wanted to follow in his footsteps. Her, uh, the, the missionary agency she tried to go through said, nope, you can't do it. You're not, you're not qualified. And she did it anyway. She went to Africa and, um, where she, where she was ministering, she felt like it was just too safe. And so the Lord called her deeper into Africa to a place where they were, um, they were, um, they would do things like, um, cannibalism and human sacrifice. And they told her, you can't go there. You're a woman. And it's not safe. And she went anyway. They believed in this part of Africa that if twins were born, one of the, one of the twins would have an evil spirit and that they, um, and they didn't know which one it was. So if twins were born, they would cast them away. They would, they would commit infanticide. Sound familiar? Um, so the, the twins were killed and the mother, because she was the mother of the one who had birthed the evil spirit, she would be, um, excised from the community and sent on her own way to take care of herself. Mary Slessor went into these people and she worked with them. She focused on the children and the mothers. She adopted the babies, the twins that were left to die. She raised them as her own. She taught them there's a better way. And she um, urged people to treat women and children better. Um, she, her, By her deep love, she showed the people God's love. And slowly, many of these practices stopped. When she went, when she first got to Africa, the missionaries that were living there, like I said, they were in kind of a, a comfortable place. They were eating really well. They were dressed really nicely. And she said, no, no, not me. She ate like she ate like the people that she lived with. She wore the same clothing. She did not elevate herself above them, but she advocated for women and children. Amy Carmichael, born in 1867, just a few years after Mary Slessor, she was rejected for missions work because of her health. She, she had very poor health, and they said, you're not going to make it. So she bought herself a ticket and went to Japan and that, um, she served there for, I think, 15 months or so. And then they, um, she was, she had more health issues. And so she ended up moving to India where the climate was better for her health and she could minister. She did things like she learned the Tamil language. She studied the Hindu caste system, which was, you guys are familiar with the Hindu caste system where different people, you know, again, that's, there were some who were elevated and some who were down and there was nothing that they could do about it. And she taught them that everybody is equal in God's sight, that everybody had value as image bearers of, of God. Everywhere she went, she ministered. She, um, actually dressed like the Indian ladies and, she dyed her skin with tea so that she would look more like them. This is amazing to me, so that they would hear her, so that she could carry their message, the message of the gospel. She realized that many young girls and women were being sold to Hindu priests to be prostituted in the temple. 
Uh, they were obviously treated pretty poorly there. And so she would rescue these women. She would kidnap these women and these girls and take them to places where she could keep them safe. She actually was imprisoned for a time because of this. Gladys Aylward was born in 1902. So again, just a few years after Amy Carmichael. She um, felt God called her to China when she was 28 years old, and the, her missionary board told her, no, she was too old. 28 was too old. Man, I am really in trouble. Uh, um, Gladys decided that if, she, if they wouldn't take her, if this missionary network wouldn't take her, that she'd just go herself. So she moved to China, where she served the people of China. Um, she took this, the money that she had, bought a one-way train ticket, um, and the, you know, the belongings that she had on her back, and she went. Um, China was in, at war with Japan at the time. She didn't care. At that time, it was customary for the, the women of China to bind their feet because it was considered attractive for women to have small feet. Again, I'm in trouble. And, uh, so they would bind their feet, but it was, I mean, y'all know about this, it's extremely painful, and eventually it was outlawed, but the people would continue to practice it because they thought it was beauty. And she would go in, she was actually eventually paid by the government to go in and talk to people and teach them not to bind women's feet. She advocated for um, for children. She advocated for women. She advocated for the poor. In fact, um, she actually, if she would see little children left on the side of the road to be sold, she would buy them so that she could take them and raise them. At one point during the war with Japan, she had a 100 children that were under her charge that she took to safety over mountains and across the Yellow River um, to protect these children. I've just, I don't know about you, but I'm reading these stories and I'm going, if they, if these women can do this great things for the Lord, what excuse do I have but to carry out justice, to reach the vulnerable, to reach the oppressed everywhere I go? I told you last night that I was praying a great deal for Uncle Al. You know, at one point... He and his wife Fran and their children had a ministry to people, to, to runaways, to drug addicts, to people who had no place else to go. They would take them in. They still do this. You don't have a place to go, you go to them. When my family didn't have a place to go, my mom went to Aunt Fran and she said, we don't have a place to live. And Uncle Al and Aunt Fran, they built us a house so that we could live on their property. And I'm just thanking the Lord for the Baldanza family. If it wasn't for Uncle Al, we wouldn't have this building. He was the one who got us this building. And I'm just praising the Lord for their example of reaching, reaching the lost, reaching the hurting, reaching the disenfranchised. And I'm asking the Lord to, to battle on his behalf to save his life. But I also want to take the time to thank him while he's here, because by the grace of God, he is still here. So what are we taking away from all of this? Well, I don't know. 
I'm seeking the Lord in this regard. I know, Anchor, we're actively as, as a leadership team seeking the Lord. What can we do? Who can we minister to? Who can we reach with the gospel? And with basic necessities, I'm asking you as a congregation to come alongside us and pray with us and encourage us uh, and, and do this with us. Because I think that's what the future is for our community gospel church, is to minister to this community.